Welcome to the Follow by Travel Weekly. I'm your host, Managing Editor, Rebecca Tobin. Under the Biden administration, the DOT has put out several proposals related to rules for airlines, passengers, and travel advisors. Two of the biggest are about refunds and fee disclosures. In the first, when flyers should be entitled to refunds, and in the second, when air ticket sellers, like travel agents, should disclose fees like bags, change fees, cancellation fees, and how much it would cost for families to sit together. But there's other rulemakings in the works. Plus, there's a new online dashboard on airline policies for delays and cancellations. So in short, it seems like a lot is going on. But what does it all mean? What do advocates think needs to be clarified in order for flyers and agents to truly benefit? and how people can get involved in the comment process before the DOT issues its final rulemaking. Let's talk about all of that now. This episode was recorded Thursday, October 6th, and has been edited for length and clarity. Yeah, I'm Robbie Silk, Airlines Editor for Travel Weekly. Evan Peck, American Society of Travel Advisors. I'm the Executive Vice President for Advocacy. We are the National Trade Association for travel agencies of all shapes and sizes and business models. We have 17,000 members across uh, the country, and I've been here for over 10 years. Hi, I'm Bill McGee. I'm the Senior Fellow for Aviation at American Economic Liberties Project. I worked in the airlines for seven years in flight operations, a journalist who's written about the airlines, and for the last 13 years, I've been an advocate for airline passengers. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about the Department of Transportation. Uh, the Department of Transportation has been rolling out several proposals, uh, airline and customer related and travel advisor related over the past couple of months. Uh, so, Robbie, maybe just talk a little bit about what the DOT is doing or what we think it's doing. So, over the since the beginning of the summer, they've rolled out proposals that would stiffen, refund, or really expand when airlines are required to provide refunds to passengers. They've also just put out a new proposal that, that would require more disclosure on the prices of ancillary fees uh, from the beginning of the, of the sales process. We also saw the, the rollout of this dashboard on the DOT's uh, website that lets flyers know what the airlines have promise to provide in cases of disruptions that are the airline's fault. Uh, the DOT leaned on the airlines to, to upgrade the protections they have in writing prior to that coming out. We, we've seen the beginning uh, or maybe the resumption of a re regulatory review process for airline seat sizes. Pete Buttigieg, the DOT secretary, has talked about wanting to start moving toward allowing passengers who use wheelchairs to be able to use their own chair. They've also, the DOT has also put out some threats or warnings to, to airlines about not charging extra to have your, you know, a child with you. So these are all things that they've done in the last several months. And that's where, so one, I guess a question I'd have for either Evan or Bill is why are we here? How much of this was going to happen anyway? How much of this is related to all the disruptions and the bad headlines over the summer and spring? Well, Bill, you want to go first? Sure. Well, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but unfortunately, I am very, very pessimistic about the DOT's actions this summer. On paper, it sounds great. And there's been this flurry of announcements and flurries of, of rulemakings 
Um, let's not forget the context. This summer was, I think, fair to say from a statistical standpoint, the worst summer for customer service in the history of the industry in terms of just a sheer number of flight cancellations and delays and outstanding refunds. And while I never wanna say that we don't welcome rulemakings, there's a couple of things to keep in mind with rulemakings. First of all, it's a very lengthy process, as we all know. I mean, even if it's fast-tracked, 2025 would be would be optimistic um, for all of these uh, rulemakings. And second of all, they're not retroactive. So, I mean, I'm happy to take a deep dive into all of them, but just, you know, to take a, a bigger perspective here, take the issue of refunds. Um, I and other consumer advocates have been speaking to the DOT since March of 2020 about refunds. I mean, it was immediately after the lockdowns began. We all remember what that month was like those first couple of weeks. And we have had, by my count, 11 separate discussions. When I say we, consumer advocates, have had 11 separate discussions with the DOT about refunds. How much is owed? It's a great question. This is a very opaque industry, so we can't put a hard number on it. But Senator Markey uh, estimates that it's more than $10 billion in outstanding refunds. So let's just take that one issue. We have not seen the DOT impose so much as a $1 fine on any U.S. airline. Um, I know all of Secretary Buttigieg's talking points very well because I follow him very closely. And I'm sure if he were on right now, he'd jump in and he would say, but Bill, we uh, imposed the largest fine in the history of the DOT on refunds. Yes, against Air Canada, because Air Canada publicly humiliated the DOT and sort of thumbed their nose at the DOT and said that they wouldn't be abiding by U.S. rules in the U.S. So they were forced to. And yes, it was a record fine, $25 million. How much was paid in the end? $2 million. Um, but Air Canada, if you look at it in pie chart form, is not the biggest problem for refunds, obviously. It's U.S. airlines. I think, unfortunately, a lot of times the DOT uses rulemakings as a way to sort of kick the can. We don't know who's going to be uh, in the White House by the time these rulemakings take place. We don't know who the Secretary of Transportation will be. It sounds good, but we have been desperately urging Secretary Buttigieg for months for months now on all of these issues, on refunds, on flight cancellations, to do much more in the here and now. And we believe he does have the authority. Again, I don't wanna say we're not in favor of, you know, of rulemakings. Of course we are, we'll be commenting, but there's an awful lot that he could be doing right now that he, he simply is not doing. Evan, what do you think? Are, are these actions sort of kick the can actions to make it look like the DOT is doing something amid consumer outrage or are they substantial? Well, let me talk about where this came from first. So, Robbie, as you know, uh, the ancillary fee thing has been percolating for a decade. This was an issue when I got here in the year 2012, um, and it kind of uh, DOT's proposed a couple things over the years, uh, but this this issue kind of went into the freezer when the Trump administration came in, and now it's come out of the freezer. But the refund thing, I think, is directly related to, to COVID, which is the root of all evil, if you ask me. So, obviously, COVID led to a huge spike in cancellations refund requests, general chaos in the, in the airline industry, also highlighted some of the inconsistencies in the current refund regime, right? Airlines get to de decide what a significant change is or, or a significant delay is. Um, and the current regime doesn't uh, contemplate government travel restrictions, which wasn't really a thing before COVID, right? Perhaps in like huge civil unrest or terrorism, et cetera. Uh, but if, as, as we all know, we saw widespread government restrictions on travel. I always give the example of uh, one of our members had a client who had booked a trip to 
Australia, probably in December of 19, the trip was for uh, April uh, first class. So it was a lot of money. And uh, the, the flight went, <laughs> it was probably empty from the US to Australia, but US citizens were not allowed into Australia. So in that case, that client was not entitled to a refund and had to convert that to a credit. So there was some inconsistencies and loopholes in the, in the re refund system that COVID really shone a bright light on. So, you know, I think were it not for COVID, we would not be talking about refunds at the level that we are right now. Ancillary fees predates it. Well, let's start with the ancillary fees. Let's go into that a little bit. The, 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 the rulemaking would, would require disclosure of baggage fees, of uh, change and cancellation policies, change fee and cancellation policies, and also of any extra cost if, uh, if the consumer wants to fly with a child 13 or, or under, requires that disclosure right away uh, in the booking pathway. And that can also be a, a booking pathway with, done by in person or, or on the phone with a travel agent. So Evan, I know uh, ASTA has some issues with this, although you, there are things about it that you also like. So why don't you go into that? Sure. Both of these proposals, which are massive and ex extraordinarily complex, just to give you an idea, in the refunds NPRM, the DOT asks 110 different questions, the answer to which would radically change what the, what the proposal would become. So these are very complicated things. There's good and bad in both. So on the ancillary fee thing, we've been working, supporting increased transparency in ancillary fees ever since the trend started in, what was it, 2007, 2008? Yeah. Um, we also think that, uh, have long felt that if the airline is going to sell its products through the travel agency distribution channel, they should sell the entirety of the product and not just the fare. So there's there's situations now, depending on the airline, depending on the GDS, where you can you can the agent can book the fare, but the agent can't book ancillary. So we call that transactability. So viewed through that lens, this would increase transparency in airline ancillary fees. It opens the door to transactability. It requires it would require transactability in fees related to family seating. So that's good. On the, the, the negative side, right, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, uh, it would require disclosure of all these various fees, first check bag, second check bag, first carry-on bag, change fee, cancellation fee, adjacent seating when seating with a child, et cetera, in any transaction, including explicitly, uh, we'll call them offline transactions, so over the phone or face-to-face. -face. So there's already a number of disclosures that advisors have to make today under DOT rules, and this would add what is that, four or five new ones, adding more friction to the to the buying process. We already have a lot of members who uh, selling air can be painful and some just refuse to touch air at all uh, because there's so many problems associated with it. I do have a quick question about the disclosures. You know, are these hypotheticals or are they based on every, every potential passenger's specific requirements? For example, if you have status with an airline or if you don't, if you decide to check a bag, but then you don't, or if you have a credit card or you don't, are those things that a travel advisor would have to take into account? Or are they just, would they just have to say something like it's potent, you would potentially have to pay $25 for a check bag, $50 for a second check bag. The fees would have to be, I'm quoting, adjusted based on the passenger's frequent flyer status, method of payment, or other consumer characteristic. So to answer your question, yes, they would have to personalize this disclosure to each so, client. So a seller would need all of this information from every client before they were able to make a fair quote. Correct. 
let's let's speak to what's happening here. The airline industry is absolutely determined to put the lowest fare out there. They know how important it is, particularly in third-party sites and Expedia and all the rest of it, to be you know higher up. We all know that 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 goes back to the GDS days before there was an internet. Um, but you know, going back even prior to you know the, the 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 ancillary fee revolution in the late 2000s even before that some of us were fighting just to have the mandatory taxes and fees put in there they weren't in there in the early days of the internet as you may remember and we are for more transparency it's that simple but at the same time we're fully aware that third parties are often caught in the middle here whether it's brick and mortar travel agencies whether it's otas whatever um, they're not getting, I mean, we, I call it the three F's, flight, fares, and fees. They're not getting all that data all the time. We know this. And so if, you know, our feeling is if you're going to sell through third parties, well, great, but then you need to provide the third parties with all the data that they need when consumers have questions. And it's the same with the refunds. Um, I mean, to be clear, since we, you know, I don't want to go off refunds without saying this. Um, I think our position and Asta's position is very, very close. Um, we think it's wrong for third parties to be on the hook for funds that they don't have. Now, I want to be crystal clear. I, I represent consumers, so we think consumers should get refunds. And we think that the, the conditions under which refunds are given should be expanded. So, I mean, there's no question about that. But there's, there's a couple of issues that are problematic with putting uh, agencies on the hook for refunds when they haven't been reimbursed by the airline. One is it's simply not fair. But two is if you, if you wanna you know, break it down into dollars and cents, it's bad for consumers. You know, Evan already talked about the fact that more and more agencies maybe are thinking, well, I don't even wanna do air. If that's one of the consequences, then that makes it much more problematic for, for consumers that like to use agents. And then on, on, on top of it, small brick and mortar agencies, if, you know, I mean, if they don't have the, the cash on hand because they haven't gotten it from the airline, well, they are just as much a victim as the consumer is from airlines withholding refunds. So the, this cumbersome language in these DOT rulemakings, they have to be clear. I mean, in our view, and we are going to file comments and we're going to say this, in our view, yes, consumers should get refunds, but that money needs to come through whatever channel it, you know, it was paid. And if now, if the agency is sitting on the money, then, then yes, absolutely, they should pay it back. No question. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but if the agency is waiting to hear back from an airline and hasn't gotten that money, and that's going to put the agency into the red, there's nothing fair about that, and we're opposed to it. I mean, it's a difficult process also with the, um, the family stipulation, maybe even more difficult um, if you're speaking with someone, because the cost of a seat, which is the cost of your family sitting together, varies widely throughout the airplane on any given flight. I'm going to jump in on this. And, I know uh, you are. <laughs> and um, um, uh, if we need to go to make this a three-part discussion, then we will. We'll all stay here for hours until we get this done. No, I promise to be as succinct as I can on this. But for me, all roads lead back to 2016. Congress spoke three DOT secretaries ago under the Obama administration. Okay, it was the tail end of the Obama administration. Then Elaine Chao took office as the DOT secretary. The, the language couldn't be clearer. It's in the 2016 FAA reauthorization. It was passed six years ago. And what it said is that the, the Secretary of Transportation will direct the airlines not to charge such fees to families with children under 13. It's really simple language. Um, if 
appropriate. And those are the two killer words in that whole phrase, if appropriate. So Elaine Chao took office under President Trump and basically without telling us, but we pulled enough teeth to find out, they felt it wasn't appropriate. So for four years, nothing was done on this, as Evan says, was put in the freezer. Um, at my last gig, I spent 22 years at Consumer Reports on the first on the editorial side, but then on the advocacy side, we filed a Freedom of Information Act request. I received finally, after like 18 months, hundreds of complaints from families on this. Um, it was mind boggling what I was reading. I remember it was a holiday weekend. I spent 72 hours just reading these complaints. Children as young as four, three, two, and in two cases, one-year-olds were assigned seats by themselves by US airlines, okay? Children with autism, children with severe nut allergies. This is, you know, it's crazy that we even have to talk about it, but I'll talk about it and just state it for the record. It's a clear safety threat to everyone on board the plane. I've spent my whole life dealing with airline safety in one way or another. I've been through evacuation training when I worked in the airlines and, you know, I used to ride in the cockpit and I went through it when I was in the Air Force Auxiliary. And I will tell you as much, I wrote a book about airline safety, um, but I will tell you that if I was the person and my son, who's now an adult, if he was four years old and he was sitting five rows away from me, I would be blocking the exit going to him. Okay. And that's, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but that's a fact. And yet here we are still talking about it. So in July of 2021, I and other consumer advocates met with Secretary Buttigieg um, by Zoom. And I was elected among the advocates to speak on this issue. I spoke directly to the secretary. He took a lot of notes. He, was, he seemed very concerned. Ironically, it was about a month before he himself became a father, which I didn't know at the time, you know, it was about to happen. So when I heard that news, I said, well, this is great. Then this is a slam dunk, right? He's going to take action on this. Another year went by. And then this summer, what do we hear? A rulemaking. I don't know how good the microphone is to pick up my sigh on that, but when I saw it, I heard it. You got I it. said, you yeah. got to be kidding me. This is year six, and now we're talking about a rulemaking on this. And, um, you know, when you when you dig into it, as I did through the FOIA, um, you'll see that this, you talk about kicking the can. We had complaint after complaint from parents that said, well, when they, they talked about it with when they were booking the flight, they said, well, take care of it when you check in. And then you go to check in and they say, well, take care of it at the gate. And then you go to the gate and they say, take care of it on the plane. So one, one woman wrote, um, I'm dependent on the kindness of strangers, you know, and now you go over to someone and say, will you change your seat? And, and guess what? We're also respectful of those that paid money or didn't even pay money, but they picked their seat. Why should they have to move so somebody's kid can sit with them? So if I, I believe... Secretary Buttigieg did tell airlines in the summer, uh, clean up your act on this and do it in the next several months or else we're going to regulate, which is kind of like saying, or else we're going to start a rulemaking. So I'm sure you're not happy with that. Right. Uh... Registration for Travel Weekly's Cruise World is now open. The annual event is taking place in Fort Lauderdale, November 2nd through 4th. Travel advisors can participate in supplier training sessions, hear from industry leadership, learn from their peers, walk the exhibitor showcase floor, and tour some of the newest ships on the water. To register and to learn about Cruise World's unique semi-hosted star program, visit cruiseworldshow.com. So, so part of this refunds provision did, doesn't, there's some language in there that I think has been been a source of not only some concern, but also maybe some confusion, Evan, you can talk to that about. Is it whoever the seller of record is that would be required to turn the turn the money back? Or is it, or how, how, do you, how are you all reading that now? 
Yeah, so if you do a, a quick scan of that 115 page uh, document, and I kind of skip to the skip to the end, which is the proposed regulations themselves, not like the narrative around it. I think we talked about this, Robbie, um, in early August, it sort of looks like what the current regs look like uh, on airline refunds, which is if a ticket is sold by a, a ticket agent, and that's our, our legal term, um, and the consumer wants a refund, then the consumer goes to the ticket agent and can, can get a refund from, from, from the ticket agent, which has, has not been enforced. Um, but if you look on page 42 of this package, so on like the third reading, they talk about that this would only apply in cases where the uh, ticket agent is the merchant of record. So that that is a scenario where the, the travel agency is holding the funds, usually not for a long period of time, but is holding the funds and collecting the funds from the consumer and then will forward it to the, to the airline. In the vast majority of cases, it's using the client's credit card. They don't even touch the money. So that narrows the scope of this proposal, although it's not, it's unclear. It's hard to find. If you read the draft regulation, literally, you would think that you're still on the hook. So definitely some clarification needs to, needs to be made. Travel agencies shouldn't have to refund airline money that they don't have, right? This, this refund requirement is being triggered uh, because of a service failure by, by the airline. And if it's a business class or first class ticket, this is a lot of money that we're talking about here. So prior to, uh, as recently as May of 2020, DOT enforced this saying, we won't put agencies on the hook unless they possess the funds. Uh, we think that is a much more straightforward way to approach this. Um, we understand there's been some situations in COVID where somebody's looking for a refund that they booked through a, through a travel agency and felt like they were being bounced back and forth between airline travel agency, airline travel agency. But this, this is airline services that were not performed and the money is with the airline. <laughs> if the money is with the, the travel agency, then absolutely they will refund it. In fact, under the ASTA code of ethics, if you're a member of ASTA and, and you don't do that, then we can kick you out of our, of our association. That's our consumer protection code. So that's where we, that's where kind of where we are. Universe is narrowed. However, there's still instances potentially where this pretty straightforward principle would be violated. You know, Evan just talked about the scenario where, where a traveler is getting bounced back and forth between the airline and the travel agency. You know, I mean, how is a consumer supposed to know who's good? I mean, if they paid their money through their credit card, I assume they know. But I, I just feel that with so many of these regulations, it's just so difficult for the consumer to understand what it is that they're supposed to expect or what it is that, you know, their their advisor is doing for them. We can even go into like, you know, whether the DOT thinks that, you know, a travel agent is still, a, you know, is an agent of the airline and how much that responsibility lies with the travel agent, quote unquote. But I just, I, I, I'm just not really sure at the end of it, what, you know, what the, how this will, how the consumer will feel helped. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think, you know, a fair question is, um, why do so many DOT rulemakings in the initial phase, why does the language sound as if it was written by the airlines? I think that's a question that we should have answered. Um, because if, if you're an airline executive, you look at this, you know, this initial document, obviously we're still going through comments and all of that. And you say, yeah, this works for us. <laughs> you know, um, well, where are the consumers? Where are the travel agents? Where's, you know, on all these issues, what about the other parties involved? Yes, we're, we're weighing in, we're offering comments, but you come out of the gate 
and you're and you're sort of hampered right out of the gate, you know, because you're dealing with language that is problematic before you even have filed comments. It's tempting to ask Rebecca, like, are we making this a little too complicated? Like, a consumer is trying to get a a refund for a, uh, an airfare. Uh, wouldn't the airline who has the money be, be the one that re refunds the airfare? Now, travel agencies will facilitate those refunds. That's they spent innumerable hours during COVID doing that, facilitating refunds. And sure. I, I, I've been told that the, the the pipeline was like shut off for long periods of time in early COVID. Like you could not get a refund for your client out, out through through the ARC process. So um, facilitate, yes. But at the end of the day, this is an airline service failure. Tune into Trade Secrets, a podcast from Travel Weekly and Travel Age West, where travel advisors ask questions and we answer them. Think of us like Dear Abby, but just for travel agents and in podcast form. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have questions about your business, the industry, or anything travel related? Send them in and you might hear them in a future Trade Secrets episode. You can call our hotline 201-902-2098 or email tradesecrets at travelweekly.com. We'd love to hear from you. I don't think it's come up yet. So I want to just clarify what the positive from a consumer perspective elements of this proposal on refunds is that it would define a significant delay that that vague clause that's in there now to mean three hours or longer on domestic flights and six hours or longer on uh, international flights and consumers would be entitled to a refund would also require the airlines to let consumers know they're entitled to a refund, which is, which is something that they don't necessarily do. In fact, they make they make efforts to to push credits. Um, yes. It also yes. requires, it also requires uh, airlines to allow flyers to to cancel their plans if they're if they're feeling sick, uh, if there are pandemic restrictions. So there are there, there are these elements in there as well. And I believe Asta is supportive of that. And and Bill, I know you're not happy with what, what they have not yet done on enforcement, but I imagine, it, but, but are you satisfied with these consumer proposals? Well, there's no question we need to define, you know, significant delay. It's, I mean, if you look at the language currently and you go to dot.gov, it looks like it was written by Kurt Vonnegut, you know, because it says in the case of <laughs> an extended delay, such and such. And then the next sentence says, however, DOT hasn't, you know, it's right there. You can pull it up, DOT.gov. Just, just Google DOT.gov extended delay. In the case of an extended delay, we haven't defined it. Look, um, you know, you raised a great point, Robbie, and that is the one thing we have from a consumer perspective, the one thing we have, it's right there. I quote it all the time. I practically know the whole URL character by character is the DOT has a rule that says if a flight is canceled, doesn't matter the reason, force majeure, act of God, airline problem, doesn't matter. If your flight is canceled, you are entitled to a full cash refund. Now, why is it that on Thursday afternoon, I was going to Chicago last week and I was in an airport and not my flight, but another flight that people were already lined up, knapsacks, getting ready to board. The worst case scenario due to the hurricane, the flight was canceled and they announced the flight was canceled. Everybody groaned. And then the next words out of their mouth on the announcement was, and you are entitled to a credit. Please see us if you'd like to do that. And I'm just, you know, 
a, ma a maniac basically and i'm just shouting to no one who will listen no 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 you're entitled to cash right the one of the guiding principles for what i do and, and and i think a lot of other consumer advocates do the same thing is we always remind ourselves that the average american flies less than once a year that was before COVID. i don't know what the numbers are now but before COVID, it was about once every 15 to 18 months so how are consumers supposed to know this, right? So when an airline makes an announcement or sends you a text saying you're entitled to a credit, the average person is gonna say, well, you know, I guess if I don't take the credit, I've got nothing. So sure, I'll take a credit, which will expire very likely by the way, right? In many cases, you know, there's so many problems that we're, we're unpeeling here because the more you peel it, the more, the more problems. First of all, do we wanna see, you know, rulemakings? Yes, but we also wanna see enforcement. Can I add something to what, what Bill said? I mean, this is, he's right in that most people don't know the rules inside and out. Certainly no one's more of a expert than Bill. This is another reason I would argue to, that consumers should consider using a travel agency, even for air only trips, because trust me, we've pulled together a couple of uh, member task forces to work on this, this refund proposal, and they are experts in this. They, they processed and requested consumer refunds for months at a time. That's all they did and <laughs> didn't get paid for it, frankly. Um, but, and, I, and we've also heard anecdotes through those um, consultations about, like Bill was saying, even in the travel agency systems, credit being the default, not, not cash refund. And they have to go and take another few steps to get the cash refund. Um, I, I am, uh, trust me, I mean, I've been saying the same thing, Evan, to people in my life, to family and friends. I had family members that took a trip to Europe over, you know, a couple of months ago. And I said, look, use an agent because when something goes wrong, then it's one call. I mean, we all yeah. know what it's like. If, if Try and call Delta Airlines if you're sitting in, Del in Atlanta and your flight's been canceled. Try and get, you know, the line is going to be out the door. Try and get somebody on the phone. We know what the wait times are like, right? So I absolutely support that. No question. Yeah, well, I'm not even going to get into the fact that in some places there's not even a line anymore because they've closed down those customer service desks and now you have to text or, or um, use yeah. the app. Yeah, use the app, which yeah. mm -hmm. mm -mm. not even going to go there. Okay. <laughs> with no Wi Fi. Yeah, or with airport yeah. Wi Fi. Yeah, 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 with like a sure. 45 minute wait time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think that this does highlight that sort of this, this difficult. Uh, you know, sort of circle or cycle that the, that a travel agent might be in, because, you know, if you're saying, Hey, listen, use a travel advisor. They're the ones who know the information they can help you. But then we've got this other, this other proposal here that makes everything very difficult, right? So all this disclosure information and just making the travel agent say, yeah, I don't even want to deal with this. Evan, yeah. are you, Evan's not nodding his head. I mean, it kind of makes it, you know, yeah, the, makes it hard. The, even when I got here 10 years ago, there was definitely a subset of agencies who said, um, I don't, I don't, I don't do air. It's just too, much, air. too much, too much of a hassle and, and zero commission. They'll, they'll tell you about that. There used to be commissions. Now there's not commissions, generally speaking. Um, you know, I, I've always thought about it, that it's, it's hard to provide, you know, full service to a client without uh, air is going to be a part of, of most, most trips, but, you know, everybody has to make their, their own decision, but I've been hearing a lot more about that lately, especially some of the early headlines about the refund thing, people saying, all right, now I was on the, I was on the bubble. Now I'm not, I'm not touching air anymore. If I'm gonna have to pay out of pocket for a refund, heck no. See, I didn't, I didn't curse. Heck no. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Appreciate that. 
Uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I'm sure that there's ways around it. And I, and I guess that's getting back to what the, what the rulemaking and, and, you know, both, both Evan and Bill talked about, you know, filing comments, uh, which is the formal way to address the rulemaking. And I think there's some deadlines we can, and we can add all that information into our show notes about when the rulemaking deadlines are. Everyone is in, is able to file, um, doesn't have to necessarily come from an ASTA or another consumer organization. Do you feel like when you have these comment periods, are they helpful? Are they useful? Um, I, I think it is a useful exercise. As I mentioned in the refunds proposal, DOT asks 110 different questions. Now we're not gonna answer all of the questions, but um, they're, they're, they're to give credit where credit is due, they know what they don't know. Um, frankly, some of this stuff about how the, the money flows in, in a air transactions, I, I didn't know that well after being here for 10 years. So they are asking for feedback and they're asking for feedback on how uh, their proposed approach would impact uh, our members. That's what we're going to focus on, obviously, and we will be happy to, to share that. So uh, in, in that sense, and then one hopes, and I have seen this happen before, it doesn't, I mean, it, it moves pretty slowly, but they propose something, they ask for feedback on that approach, they tweak the approach in the final rule. Unlike some of the past rulemakings, Bill, I think you'd agree, there will be a final rule on this. I just don't know when it's going I to agree. come. There's just, yes. too much, there's just too much pressure. Like the ancillary yes. fee, fee thing had floated there for, for like five years, and then it, just, it got killed at, at the very end of the Obama administration. Um, yes. So it is. It, it, I think it is a useful exercise. I want to mention too that um, we have uh, created a grassroots campaign where our members can weigh in uh, in the docket that is on asta.org uh, slash advocacy. And if you're an ASTA member and Rebecca and Robbie, if you can believe it, not all travel advisors in this country are members of the American Society of Travel Advisors, which always befuddles me. But if you're a member, you're getting direct and frequent communication on this. But uh, we do have a, a portal that people can use to submit comments and we provide suggested language. Although of course your personal story is what's most important. Yeah, it sounds like from both of you, it's really important for just regular folk, if that's the right phrase, you know, just, you know, ground level travel advisors, consumers, people, other people to, uh, to comment uh, on the DOT. But yeah, obviously, if you're faced with 110 questions, it can get, um, can get a daunting. little intimidating. Hmm? Daunting? Yeah. Daunting. Daunting. <laughs> well, and you know, Rebecca, even, you know, I, I refer to the DOT complaints all the time. I, I, I did it just a few minutes ago in talking about, you know, refunds. Um, but let's remember, I mean, how many people actually know when they have a bad experience at an airport, those people that fly once every 15 months, right. how many even know that there is such a thing as the DOT's monthly air travel consumer reports and how to go about it, right? In Europe, you know, because in the EU, where there's a real passenger bill of rights, you can't walk. 10 feet, or should I say 10 meters in a uh, in an airport without seeing a big poster saying, here's what you do. Here's the website. Here's how to file a complaint. Here's what your rights are. We don't have that here, right? Gonna, so yeah, we, there was one, but then there wasn't one. I feel like there was going to be one, but then there's Oh yeah, it's been one. talked about for years. Sure. We've talked about it with the DOT, other advocates have. It would be great. Like, you know, like Evan is talking about with, with the public comments, let's hear from everybody. Sure. You know, consumer advocates and travel agent organizations and airlines are going to weigh in and airlines for America. But let's hear from the public on these things. There's 5000 plus comments already. Last time I looked, that was a day or two ago. Is that yeah. high or is that average or low? That's on the high side. And there's a lot yeah. of uh, authentic messages. I'll put it that way. Like, <laughs> um, 
clearly not form letters, you know, like this is people telling their story. So that's on right. the refund on the refund rulemaking. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the ancillaries was just announced. So I, is there a different time frame for that? Or is it all uh, under the even, same docket? It's not okay. even posted, not even posted yeah. yet. Uh, oh, okay. When it's when it's posted, it'll be a 60 day comment period. Right. Thank you, Evan and Bill, for your time. Thank you for your Thank insights. You. Thank you for your passion on these subjects. I know sometimes uh, regulatory issues are not so passionate, but in this case with these guys, it's different. It's a different thing. Yeah, thank you both for coming on. You yeah, bet. No, absolutely. Thanks, guys. It was, it was a pleasure. I'm happy to do it again. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and rate and review us. New episodes of The Follow by Travel Weekly are published on Mondays. We'll see you soon. In the meantime, you can find us at travelweekly.com. Mm -hmm.